this is awesome. It's uh, always great to reconnect with the man Chad Brown here. Chad, you've just been so phenomenal helping me out, whether it's the the book behind me, The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football, with just hilarious stories on Chad Sharp, Tony Gonzalez. Um, man, that was fun. And, you know, anytime we've got to dip into those Pittsburgh Steelers relive, those ass kicking days of the nineties, you know, you, I got to call you and LeVon Kirkland. I mean, those, right. I, I never get tired of those stories with Greg Lloyd, Kevin green, uh, the good old days, but this, this was different. The, I guess what led to this podcast, I got a text from you. I believe it was Sunday, uh, reaching out saying you wanted to talk about the state of football today. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but first of all, how in the hell you been? I've been really good. I've been really good. I had a lot of fun this season. Um, this season I've been doing pretty much uh, from game calling perspective, all college football. So, um, you know, the differences in the games is pretty significant. If you are, you know, there at the stadium week in and week out between the NFL and college. So this year, all college calling games, um, been a lot of fun, done some great games, Alabama, Tennessee. I got the big 10 championship coming up this weekend. So uh, deep dive into college football this year, yet and still I still do with all the Broncos stuff here locally in Denver. So, um, you know, I'm 53 years old and it's funny because time just brings you perspective. And that perspective this year has just kind of been about the massive difference in the fan bases, the way the game is played, the energy and passion behind the games, um, you know, the the. Uh, differences in skill and coaching and all that. So it's just been a fun ride. And then to kind of bring it full circle to why you and I are doing this podcast is the comments from Tom Brady talking about some of the mediocre football play that we see. And so I thought this would be a great opportunity for me to share some of my thoughts and feelings based on my experiences. And uh, we could chop it up on this subject in particular. And I don't know what your take is. I, I saw you kind of uh, batting some folks around on Twitter and whatnot, but that's always its own al alternate universe. For, for the, I mean, everybody knows who Chad Brown is, but you know, for the, the newer listeners who may not remember the glory days, 188 career games. Man, you played forever. Steelers, Seahawks, Patriots, back and forth with the Patriots and Steelers at the end there. 79 sacks, three-time Pro Bowler. 96 is when I think you were fourth in defensive player of the year voting uh, with one of those nasty sealer defenses. So, you know, if there's, there's somebody that loves and appreciates and understands the glorious violence of pro football, <laughs> it's, it's, it's Chad Brown who uh, was, you know, brought up by Greg Lloyd and the gang there in Blitzburg. So, but yeah, you mentioned Tom Brady's comments on football being mediocre today. I do a podcast with Brett Favre. He agreed with with Tom and which is kind of wild. I mean, these are quarterbacks and Brett is just mocking roughing the passer today. I think his quote was like, what is roughing the passer? Like breathing on him, looking at him with the intent to kill. It's it's driving him nuts as a quarterback. You're somebody that was trained to kill quarterbacks. When you see these flags flying all over the place, Chad, uh, what goes through your mind? I understand both parts of it. I understand the Brett Favre take um, me as a player, you know, being fined a hundred thousand dollars plus making those appeals to the league office, you know, going through that process and, and having 
Now, at this point, it's former players. It's John Runyon. It's Derek Brooks over there at the league office who are responsible for these fines. But when I was doing it, it was just some suit over there on Madison Avenue, some dude who never played football. And I would try to explain to him the physical gymnastics that you want me to do. This offensive tackle has pushed me in my back, yet this quarterback has chosen to duck. What am I supposed to do with my helmet in that situation? I'm not actually trying to hit this guy in his head with my helmet, but if his helmet happens to be where my helmet is, what am I supposed to do? Um, so I, I understand the difficulty of today's players and even players back in my time when this first started becoming a thing of trying to relearn some of these skills that you were taught over your entire life. Uh, I will say this and not without a ton of uh, regret and it sounds cringeworthy. I was taught to hit the quarterback as hard as you can and try to hit him in the head because we could knock him out the game. Obviously the game has changed. And I'm not sure if I've given you my little Timmy example in the past. It is not, Roger Goodell, it's not Brett Favre, it's not me, it's not you, it's not Tom Brady, who ensures the football future in America. It's little Timmy's mom. So if little Timmy's mom is not comfortable with little Timmy playing football, then we don't have enough dudes to play football. So the perception of safety um, needs to be at a high enough point where mom feels a little comfortable with Timmy going out there and playing youth football. And then that's what allows Timmy to fall in love with it. That's what allows Timmy to go on and play high school football, then college, then the NFL. But it's that love early on that the mom has to approve to get little Timmy on the field. And so unless mom thinks that the rules are going to be set in a place where he can be safe and not have brain damage when he's done and the fields are safer and helmet technology is moving in at a faster pace than ever before and all these publicity statements that the league puts out, then there's not going to be a football in not going to be football in 20 or 30 years down the road. So uh, I weigh the two out. Do I think the NFL has gone too far with some of these rules? Do I think the NFL celebrating the inclusion of flag football in the Olympics and now finding running backs for ducking their heads? Do I think those are two separate things? No, I think those are very tied together from a long-term vision over there at NFL offices on Madison Avenue. Uh, so I think if you're a football fan, if you think – Football is not going to continue to go the direction that it's going with hits on quarterbacks, with running backs now being fine, with fullbacks now being fine, with the way that the NFL is trying to change the way the game is played. Um, you are going to be a sad, sad football fan. So you've got to learn to enjoy a less physical brand of football, a brand of football where the execution is mediocre, to quote Tom Brady, but the games are still somehow exciting. So that's what we need to wrap our minds around from the future of football perspective. And you're okay with it then? Is that what you're telling me? You're okay with where, where it is and where it's headed? Given the, 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 the two very extreme realities here, we can still have football in 30 years or we don't have football in 30 years. I mean, if you go around uh, social media long enough, at some point, you're going to see a picture of a marine park or sea world or something taken from above and a lonely whale in a concrete pool. And the point of that, me bringing that up is to, because we all would agree now here in 2023, hey man, that shit's wrong. Um, we, we shouldn't do that. That's not okay. We shouldn't put these beautiful, intelligent, smart creatures in concrete pools for our entertainment. There's got to be a better way to educate people and do things. 
So we recognize that. Um, and I'm afraid that 30 years from now, we'll look back and say, wow, we had a chance to change the game and make it safer and make it better so we could still have a game. Because that's my concern is we either going to be, hey, take it at its softer, less physical point where it doesn't resemble the product of 30 years ago or 40 years ago or no football at all. And if that's the, the two I've got to choose from, I'm taking football every single time. And, you know, the generation that played NFL football where they played six preseason games when training camp was a solid plus two months, they look at my era and they say, oh, my gosh, it was so easy for you guys. And I look at this era and say, oh, my gosh, it's so easy for you guys. Limitations with with CBAs and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's the direction of football is going. And given the alternative to not accepting this, there being no football, then I'm going to choose football every time. But injuries, it's not like injuries are down. It's not like concussions are necessarily down by a lot. It's it's still, I, mean, I think it's as long as there's blocking and tackling, there's going to be injuries. You're going to get bruised. You know, you're, you're going to get concussed until it's flagged. Like it's inherent to the game, isn't it? That, that you, there, there will be injuries to me. It's almost a little like a bait and switch. If you're trying to sell this to little Timmy's mom as a safe sport, it's not safe. And I, I think that's okay. Like, I just want the NFL to own the fact that it is, it, there is violence here. This isn't for everybody. You, you've said that in the past yourself, like football is not for everybody, but that's okay. And I just feel like it's a little disingenuous for the league to, you know, spam us with the infomercials on heads up football and now wrap its warm, loving arms around flag football and just add to the rule book. And I apologize to the listeners who have heard me rant about this a ton, but like the rule book, it's like, it's governmental bureaucracy. I feel like nobody knows what the hell to do game to game. Sometimes the officials don't know what to do. And it just seems so calculated by the league. You're kind of saying it's a good thing that it's becoming safer in the name of self-preservation. I just think like, and look, I didn't play in the NFL for 188 games like you. So you're the more qualified subject on this matter. I, I think football's football. And it, the NFL just needs to own it to move forward. Like, be honest is my problem. Just just, just be honest with, with what you are as a sport. Because if, if you're going to be honest, then just make it flag. Right? If you're really worried about preservation, just take all the blocking out. Take all the tackling out. Stick the flags in the belts and just move on. Uh, the NFL expecting them to be honest. Um, come on, come on. This is the league that hired a podiatrist to be the head of head trauma for the league. Right. I mean, so th this, this is not a league of transparency and honesty and actually addressing the issue at hand. You know, there's a number of owners who have never tied concussions to football because they, they recognize it's a slippery legal slope once they do that. And the latest battle this year is playing surfaces. And our studies show, I mean, there's always going to be pushback on all these things for the owners to pay more money, yet and still they're the ones who are putting out the message to little Timmy's mom that the game is safe. They deny any danger. They are unwilling to spend any money to make things safer, but they're the ones who promote the game is safe. They want all the benefits, none of the risk, none of the blowback, none of the pushback. These guys are billionaires. So when I talk about the league office, 
I'm essentially talking about the representation of the owners because it's the owners that are the league, not the league. Mm-hmm. And then the owners are below that. It's the owner. Right, right. The league is a entity that is put together to enforce the owner's whims and desires and wishes. Um, so <clears throat> the public perception versus reality, I don't think the league cares. Do they try to make things uh, safer for the players? A little bit. Um, but it's more so about public perception because it's in the end, it's a, they recognize it's about little Timmy's mom and it's about gaining a wider audience. And if women are afraid that these dudes are out there getting concussed and going to have brain damage for the rest of their lives, it's not going to be as palatable to women as it is for us Cro-Magnum dudes. So in efforts to continue to grow the game, they have to continue to put out these messages that don't necessarily line up with reality. I agree completely. And it just is sick. It just makes me sick though. Like to, you know, I think like if somebody steps into the octagon for a UFC fight, it's not like they're implementing rules to make it safer, but that's niche, right? And that's the NFL's problem here. It's like, they, they want to appeal to that broader audience. They want to bring in, you know, new fans, not just in this country, but all over the world, obviously, so you do kind of have to play this game. Like we're not going to see the jacked up segments anymore, which I'm sure you made jacked up a few times in your day. You were, we're going to see the flowery, happy go lucky kind of fun segments on NFL network. And I just, I probably, I probably am I'm asking for too much for the honesty, but I do worry that if football's turning into something that it never was supposed to be like, are, are you worried about the product Chad? Like what, it, this isn't the game you played when you watch it. Okay, the league wants to make more money. The goal is $25 billion a year in revenue. I think they're 17 or 18. So they've got eight or nine million bucks looking to pick up here. Um, and they want to continue to grow the brand and grow the shield. And uh, we've seen their forays into international. At some point, there's probably going to be an international division overseas, which is just mind-blowing as well. Um so the product is probably less important to the owners and to the league than the revenue, because the revenue is what speaks to them. Right. That's how they chart the game. We look at the game from the product and how many great games there were and how many competitive Monday night and Sunday night footballs there were. That's how we view the product, because we're not looking at the revenue sheets. We're not looking at that. They are looking at it from a completely different lens. And from their lens, they're saying all these tweaks and changes that we've made has grown the brand. The NFL makes more money than it ever did. So they feel completely right and justified. Whereas we look back and say, oh, the game's so different and the product is this and it's that. They don't care. They are getting eyeballs, which is what they want. They That's what they desire more than anything else is the eyeballs and the attention and growing the brand. So we're looking at the game from two completely different lenses. So until we can get on the same page as far as what, how we're looking at the game, then we're going to have very different goals and very different outcomes from looking at the same football season uh, together. Right, because I don't really know what backlash could occur for them to, to, to change this trend. I, I mean, people are going to be gambling and setting their fantasy lineups and rooting for their favorite teams and pouring all of their paychecks into the NFL. So 
if it's just a couple of us bitching on a podcast about it, they don't care. <laughs> you know, if it's people on Twitter, like collectively losing their minds, it'll, it'll last for 24 hours and then they move on to something else. Like, you know how that works on there. So it's calculated in that regard too. Like they, they probably know there's outrage and they know the game is changing, but it is about the revenue. Number one. It is. And uh, wow. It, it's, Looking at football, you know, from to go from a player on the field to do the coaching internships that I've done and now to be a broadcaster. Um, and I've done two visits over to the league office, um, specifically to learn about the league office and how it works and all the different departments and and all of that. Um, number one, I still love the game and I'm fascinated by it. And I still think it's the greatest sport in the world. Um but for us to sit back and complain that it's not as violent as it once was, that's not a very sympathetic cause that, that, we're, that we're taking up here. This game is different. <laughs> they don't hit people like they used to. They used to take people off in stretchers. I mean, it, it, it just it says something more about us than it says about the game in the end that our attraction to the game is because we want to see people cart it off. Uh, I think the attraction to the game is maybe not that. I don't want you to think I want people maimed and, you know, decapitated <laughs> out there. I, I, I promise you. I do. And you know what? They're, I don't know when the, the, the really good turn the league made probably was around 2000, 2005 ish. I, I feel like there was, I'm, I'm thinking like James Harrison on the cover of SI, just like taking out Muhammad Massaquah, right? For the Browns. I think right around then, I feel like there were changes made that kind of had to been made. Like jacked up. We don't really need to celebrate that extreme. Um, at the same time, I think what draws people to football is the fact that it's not for everyone. It is a, it's an attrition. Like it's for you. It's not for you. You make that decision in high school, right? The first day of hitting, um, you're, you're lining up for the Oklahoma driller. God help us bowl in the ring, which is probably outlawed everywhere. But like you make that decision as a person, like, shit, I, I don't like this. Like, I'm going to go to soccer. I'm going to go to something else or bring it on, baby. Let's go. Like, it, it, these are the modern day gladiators. That was kind of a big theme in, in the book behind me where it's like, th this is a profession we, most people can't wrap their heads around. Like George Kittle said, you're, you're beating the hell out of each other in training camp and you're getting into a fight. Then the next thing you know, you're in the ice bath talking about each other's families. Like it, it is different, <laughs> but I think that's what we're drawn to. And maybe I'm dead wrong. Maybe we are drawn to just points and touchdowns and celebrations and all that. But it's, let me ask you this then, Chad, like when you played, like it, it, there was this feeling that football wasn't for everybody. Do you feel like now anybody could just play football that you can just run around, be athletic you don't have to have that mental like switch in your head to decide this is for me or not. No, it's definitely not for anybody. And I've done four coaching internships in the NFL. I did one with the New York Jets. I did one with the Seattle Seahawks. I did one with the Tennessee Titans. And I did an off-season internship with the San Francisco 49ers. And in each of those internships, in the rooms where I was working, whether it was defensive line room or linebacker room, whatever the case may have been, at some point, either myself or the coach who I was working with had to have a conversation with the player and say, hey, man, I'm not sure if this is for you. So you've played college football. You've gotten yourself onto an NFL team, and there's still another gut check to go because you have to realize 
oh, this is what I have to do every single day. I've got to show up. So even beyond the physical pad work, just the body soreness and injuries and soft tissue stuff from just running around as your job every single day, that ain't for everybody. And then if you want to continue to excel in this game um, at certain positions, it requires an incredible amount of physicality. And typically the more physical you are, the more you're willing to risk your life and limb, so to speak, the higher you will go. Um, and this, the pain factor has always been a way to weed out people at each level of football. You're running around as an elementary school kid and you're barely you know, falling on top of each other. By the time you get to junior high, there's a, some, some kids who are more mature and they're like trained assassins out there. Then you get to high school and it's like, oh my gosh, that dude is 300 pounds in high school and I got to play against this guy. And that continues as you move up through the game um, and it continues to weed out people. So I, I don't think even today in the NFL, it is not for everybody. Um, it is still an incredibly physical, violent yeah. game just not as physical and violent as it was it once was. And they try to put some parameters around the physicality and violence that in some ways are very difficult to pull off as a player in a sport as fast as NFL football. Um, but I think as with continued training and coaching, particularly from the younger levels in 10 years, yeah, it, it will seem absurd, just like it seems absurd to put a whale in a concrete pin it will seem absurd that we used to allow people to hit quarterbacks in the head. Why would you allow that? Why was that ever part of the game? That just seems ridiculous. I don't think anybody wants that. So you, you were coached that like at what levels were you coached? Like just take out the head. Oh, uh, high school, um, college, uh, maybe not coached by Marvin Lewis in Pittsburgh. He was my <laughs> linebacker coach there, but uh, Kevin Green and Greg Lloyd certainly, you know, let me know as a rookie, when you get a chance to get to that dude who's got the ball on the other side, you show up with bad intentions every single time. You show up with bad intentions. If you can change the game with one hit, then it is your obligation. It is your responsibility to this team to change the game when you hit him. Man, what 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 was it really like to have those two as teammates? And and we we've shared a, or I've heard, we've heard a few stories in the past but you know anything else kind of come to mind on they, they greg lloyd and kevin green they, they were wired differently to put it mildly uh because i was a rookie because i was trying to establish myself and gain the respect of those guys um there were lots of games where i didn't feel as if i was playing hard enough or playing physical enough or using my helmet enough because I didn't have a ringing headache by the end of the first quarter. That was kind of my standard that now I'm playing hard enough and I'm playing to the level that these guys expect me to play. And if I can play like this, I'll earn their respect. And lucky enough for me, but also unlucky enough for my brain, um, I had coaching similar to that all throughout my football playing career. So in my closet, at my parents' house up until my mom started shipping my stuff to me once I had a house as an NFL player, my closet was littered with bent face masks and broken helmets that I had as a source of perverse pride. I see that as perverse now. Back then, it was just pride. This is how hard I play. This is how hard I go. I break helmets. I bend face masks. I bend metal by hitting people with my face. Um, 
And of course, now I recognize the, the absolute stupidity of that. But that's that kind of that mindset that Greg and Kevin taught me. This is how we play this game. We are part of a very privileged few to be Pittsburgh Steelers. And even beyond that, we are Pittsburgh Steelers linebackers. We are literally the, you know, the 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 kings of this whole uh, thing as far as elevated positions on this most historic franchise. You know how many Hall of Famers have played this position? You know how lucky you are to be in this room kind of thing? So, yeah, I had to go out and uphold that and try to find ways to impress them with how hard I went. And, you know, all right, way to go, Rook. I mean, that was fuel to my fire. Yeah. God, those defenses were nasty. I mean, I can think of Greg Lloyd taking out Favre in a preseason game, a preseason just lighting game. his ass up, right? Like, I'm sure Greg remembers that one. Publicly, in press conferences, I'm going to knock Dan Marino out of the game. And then what does he do? He goes out and knocks Dan Marino out of the game. So I know that kind of thing is definitely no longer part of football. Um, but, <laughs> I mean yeah. – I'm still a relatively young person, and this was a part of my playing experience. So the game has come a long way since then. And again, I think in another 20 years, we'll look back and look at today's game and go, oh, my gosh, how far have we come from some of the uh, violence of t- you know 2023 to looking at in 2024? I'm sorry, 2043. Maybe. I mean, I'm thinking of the Steelers today. Was it that game against Jacksonville when Keanu Neal? I mean, I don't know what else he could have done when he hit Trevor Lawrence, it is shoulder pad, midsection, not late, not driving him into the ground. Like there's nothing else he could have done. And we've seen it again and again and again and again this year, especially where I, I mean, you're, you're watching these, right? And thinking, what else is that player supposed to do? I just feel like that's the example of an NFL searching for this middle ground that doesn't exist. Um, players always find solutions you know once i was taught to no longer hit the the quarterback in the helmet and then okay now i'm going lower then the rule comes out you can't hit them below the knees the tom brady rule so now we got to aim for the midsection and now it's pretty clear that if you run through that quarterback and you hit him hard enough that's going to be a penalty so now you've got to slow down you've got to be an adaptable athlete and i recognize the difficulty in that but i also recognize what the league is trying to do And these are the rules. So the Twitter fight that you were referring to is I went back and forth with tons of Bronco fans about the bearing Browning hit on DTR on Sunday. He knocked DTR out of the game with the hit where I saw him launch himself into DTR. The fans were like, oh, no, he's just running. I was like, well, I'm looking at this from the league perspective. How is the league going to look at this? There's a reason why the ref threw the flag because he kind of launched himself. His helmet kind of made contact with the head and neck area of DTR. DTR's helmet was hit by Baron Browning's shoulder. Therefore, you have violated the rules. To your point, what else are you supposed to do? I suppose you're supposed to go low and hit him in the waist. But these guys have got to be adaptable because this is the rules by which the game is governed. And at some point, if you're going to hurt your team with a penalty, you have a responsibility to your team first rather than just trying to go out there and blast somebody. So, I'm not saying the league is correct. I'm not saying I approve of any of this. Yeah. I'm just saying this is the way that the direction is of the league is going based on my conversations with appeal officers as a player and then my conversations with the league office with these folks who are 
passing down these fines and these suspensions. $100,000 plus fines plus man. What's that process really like? I don't think fans understand. Like when you get fined, like they, they get that money, right? Like, and then you're fighting to try to get it back. They take that money first. So every week as an NFL player, you get paid, you get paid your, your weekly paycheck. Now I know some teams have gone to year round payments, but back when I played, you got paid during the season, once a week during the season is how you got paid. Those checks were typically pretty massive because it was only, you know, 16 paychecks or 17 paychecks for each week. Um, So now you get fined and that money is taken out immediately. So when you are appealing to the league office, you're appealing back to the people who have taken your money. They've already taken your money. So you're now you're trying to get your money back and you're appealing to the same folks who already found you guilty in the first place. So it's a quite an absurd process. Now, when the, with the newest CBA, they removed Roger Goodell as kind of the, the, the judge and jury there. So it's part of the other league office. But if you walk around the league office long enough, you recognize it's just like any other office. Roger Ganell is not up on the top floor in some penthouse. He's down here in all this with everybody else. So he's walking around. He walks into the office where the appeals officers are. So if you don't think Roger Goodell still has influence over that process, you're a bit naive. <laughs> well, so what was like the one hit? That you were fined for, and you're like, oh, okay, you're like I'm not gonna appeal that. Like that was pretty bad. And then what was the one hit where you're like, this is BS. I I need to fight this tooth and nail. Uh, let me see. As a Seahawk, I think we're playing the Raiders. Maybe it was Rich Gannon was the quarterback. I spun inside Lincoln Kennedy, and as I was spinning inside, Lincoln pushed me in my back. So not only was I spinning and a bit, you know, out of control and trying to orient myself, but now I've got. Lincoln Kennedy, one of the biggest players in the league, 350 plus probably, shoving me in my back. And right as I'm coming, Rich Gannon goes down. And I end up, you know, running through Rich, and my helmet clearly hits his helmet. And I'm like, okay, I understand the rule is there's no longer any helmet to helmet contact with quarterbacks. But can you see how I was literally not any control of my body? I, it was not, there was no intent involved. I just was literally shoved into this guy right as he was ducking. He ducked down to my level. I was already kind of going down from the Lincoln Kennedy pushing the back. And they said the same thing that they said to me every single time. Chad, you are responsible for your body on the football field. No one else is responsible for their body. You are responsible for yours. And because that's how you hit this guy, the quarterback's not responsible for ducking down. The receiver is not responsible for going up and trying to catch a pass and getting blasted by a safety. So this whole Tom Brady, you know, protecting players. No, the league does not believe in that. You as the hitter are responsible for your body, and what you do on the football field. So whether you were pushed, whether you're, you were working your spin move, whether the quarterback ducked, you are responsible for your body. So, I went through that process a number of times as evidenced by 100,000 plus in fines. So the last appeal that I had, um, you know, was getting towards the end of my career. And um, my agent and I are on the conference call together. He just, he and I, and we're prepping for the call. And I said, you know what, Peter, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let these dudes have it. I haven't won a single one of these. I haven't got any fines reduced. I'm just going to tell them how little they know about football and how much they're just a suit over there on Madison Avenue. 
and you couldn't do my job because I was just so frustrated that I was being judged and evaluated by people who could never play the game and just were stuck on this one line. You're responsible for your body. You're responsible for your body. So Peter says to me, you think that's going to work? I was like, no, it's not going to work, but it's going to make me feel better. (laughs) So I took my 15 minutes of time to break it down to them with how wrong they were, how little they understand. I broke down playing, attitude, intent, physics, all the different angles. And afterwards, we hung up the call and Peter was like, okay, man, I think you just uh, blew any possibility of working for the league or of getting any of your fines reduced. I was like, sure. I had to say it. I had to let him know. What was their reaction? Uh, You know, he didn't take it very well. Um, you know, he, he did not like me talking to him in that tone. He let me know. Um, it's a guy who's no longer with the league office, and I think he's actually passed by now. Um, and I probably came, probably came out at him way too hard, but I was just so frustrated by the process. Because um, yeah. I was, at that point, trying everything I could to avoid these things. Early in my career, that was my intent. And then I changed my intent to try to follow the rules and just the bang bang nature of football puts you in positions where you aren't always in complete control of your body, despite league expectations. So, yeah, it, it did not go well. Um, it was not received well. Um, when my agent had some dealings with the league as the league year went around, they had some you know things to say to him about my comments. How it was kind of unprofessional for him to allow me to do that. But again, he allowed me to get my frustrations out. I had to feel good, man. That had to feel good. It, it was like, like the best 25 like that dream of just like quitting a job, right? Like yeah. F you, F you, F you, you're cool. <laughs> Go out in the blaze of glory, man. You know, you, you, you took, you already took the 25 grand. I know you're not going to give it back. So let me make my 25 grand worth it to me. <laughs> <laughs> so who, who was the main guy then? This is like pre like Derek Brooks, John Runyon, you said, right? So who, like, who's the person you're really talking to at that point? Oh, gosh. Uh, Peter, it was, his name was Peter as well. My agent's name was Peter, but his name was Peter as well. Okay. Uh, gosh, I can't remember Peter's last name. Um, Not a former player, though. It was Peter. just like a suit. He was just a suit at Mass now. And he, you know, had worked his way up to this responsibility. So he wasn't like, you know, some – upper league executive who was dealing with this. He was a guy who started off maybe as an intern, you know, doing copies and mail duty. And now was evaluating me as a football player. How dare you? Who are you? (laughs) Good for you, man. We need more of that. I love it. So you're on the Broncos regularly, but I, you know, we, we've got some Steeler folks who, uh, who read and listen. Are you, are you watching the Steelers closely as well? I mean, this has been a a strange year for you know, your first team in the NFL. Uh, definitely a strange year. You know, being out gained almost every single week until last yeah. week and still finding ways to win. You're lucky you got TJ Watt who finds a way to make a game-changing play in some way. Um, but uh, the things that I talked about, I did a number of, of interviews in Pittsburgh after Matt Canada was fired. Oh, let me see. You, you probably throw the fire move down the middle of the field, which they did, one of his best games of his career. You're going to run the ball and try to limit – the exposure for Kenny Pickett, which they did. Um, so they used a very simple formula to have their biggest yardage total of the season and get a huge win. And it's interesting how sometimes just a philosophical change can yeah. be enough to spark a big win. Now we'll see if that's sustainable, but certainly they are, you know, in the playoff picture, 
And uh, based on what I saw last week, if they can keep Firemouth healthy and always have that threat in the middle of the field and occupy safeties and linebackers, well, then now you got the yin and the yang. Are these linebackers worried about the run game? Or are they worried about the tight end? And if you can create that indecision and put those guys in conflict all game long, then both those parts of your offense can be successful. It's always chicken or the egg, you know, with, with a coordinator like Canada, a quarterback like Pickett. Plenty of blame to go around offensively this year, but I was always in on Kenny Pickett. There's something to performing late in games, clutch situations. He's done it his whole life. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there is hope for him. He looked pretty dang good against Cincinnati. With this new offensive philosophy, I mean, do you think Kenny Pickett can turn that corner, be the quarterback the Steelers need here post-Rothersberger? Uh, I think they'll still need to play Steeler football. Um, is yeah. Kenny Pickett going to go out and become, you know, Big Ben part two or resemble any of these quarterbacks who we think of as all-time greats, Drew Brees, Tom Brady's, Peyton Manning's? No, I, I, don't, I don't see that necessarily in his future. But the Steelers play good defense. They run the ball well. Um, they run the ball well enough to set up some play-action passes. Yeah, then I think Kenny Pickett can continue to grow into the role. But I think to expect him to be able to drop back 40 times a game and deliver it all over the field um, – I don't think that's quite within his skill set currently. And I'm not sure if long-term he can actually become that kind of quarterback. Which, hey, you know what? Bring it back to those grimy Steeler wins that, that you were accustomed to, right? Nothing wrong with that. Which Maybe okay. not Neil O'Donnell at quarterback. You know, maybe you don't throw the ball to, to Larry Brown a couple times <laughs> in the Super Bowl, but sorry about that. Yeah. But <laughs> I think that brings me back to kind of the original purpose for this was Tom Brady's comments about the NFL being mediocre. And – I believe that is to be true. I believe we see player mistakes. I think we see lack of player understanding for situational football. I think we see coaches make mistakes in ways that we haven't in a long, long time or maybe ever. Uh, and it's all due to some of the reduction in practice time and padded practice time and training camp time. You know, you're going to play, you got 17 games, 18 weeks of the regular season. And I believe they can have, 12 or 13 padded practices all year long. How do you develop an offensive lineman if he only gets the gameplay in 12 padded practices? How does Kenny Pickett get to understand the real detailed nuance understanding of when a receiver is going to be in a certain place if we don't put the pads on, jam that receiver at the line of scrimmage, force him to run this route when he's been rerouted, and fight to get into the spot where he's supposed to get on the field? How is all that supposed to happen? So that lends itself to this mediocre play that we are seeing. So Tom Brady is absolutely correct. And based on what I've seen in my coaching internships and based on the conversations where I, that I've had with coaches, almost to a man, when I start this kind of conversation with a coach during my internships, they would all say, oh, man, it's not like back in your day. So they quickly would just, you know, without any fight, recognize things are different. And. I was doing one of my coaching internships and we had played a preseason game. And one of the players in our room had difficulty scooping a fumble. So, you know, I'm on the sideline. I'm taking notes. I'm like, well, we got to do a fumble drill during this week of practice. So number one, we had to wait until we had the pads on to do this drill. Cause you know, even in training camp, it's not pads every day. So we got, okay, let's, let's find a padded day. Okay. Let's script that into practice. And then so we had to go through this drill where you, you know, you you fall on the ball, but you don't fall on your chest or your stomach because the pile is going to get on top of you. You cradle it sideways and you slide into this. 
And the coach who I'm working with says, man, I don't want to get anybody hurt. I'm like, dude, we just failed at recovering a fumble during the game. That's a missed opportunity for a big play. You're playing a playoff game, and if somebody doesn't know how to recover a fumble, you're going to lose that game. So we got to do this. We did the drill, and someone got hurt. I was like, oh, my God. No. No. Are you serious? Yeah. So that was the last drill suggestion that was implemented <laughs> that training camp. Um, I was like, wow, this guy didn't even know how to fall and recover a fumble, and he hurt himself. It wasn't like we were piling on top. You roll the ball on the ground. He's got to chase the ball, slide down, and cradle the football. And he managed to hurt himself. So that's when I was like, okay, it's more than just these coaches saying things are different and these players aren't the same. Because of the lack of padded practices, because of all the lack of physical work, these guys don't understand the basics of falling. That's why, you know, Tua was getting blasted because even in college football, the trickle-down effect of less padded practices has gotten down to college football. So you don't have those situations where you learn how to take a hit and learn how to get blasted, but keep your head up so your head doesn't bang in the ground. These little things that Tua has learned this offseason due to some like Taekwondo training and MMA training. Right. Jiu-jitsu. But he yeah. didn't learn that as a football player because football, they don't play enough football to learn how to play football, which sounds crazy, but it's true. You've got to condition the body for contact. And the Steelers have, have understood that probably more than any team, right? From, from Coward to, to Tomlin, I, I feel like the practices in Pittsburgh and just doing some training camp tours, it's just, it's just different in Pittsburgh. Even now with these limited padded practices that you get, he, he takes full advantage of it. And you look at his players. I mean, they're playing in these preseason games. <laughs> the starters are in there a lot. and you know that I don't. I think there is a connection. The Steelers win these crazy games that you know can drive people nuts because it's not aesthetically fun to watch. But they're they're conditioned physically to win a different game. They're playing a different game, and it's probably so tough for Mike Tomlin to even do what he can do in twenty twenty three. But is there something to that? Just condition the body for contact, and I don't think the players would ever sit down at the table in the next CBA. And say, yeah, give us more padded practices. But it probably would help the players themselves if they had more padded practices. Yeah, uh, Tomlin said every time we're gonna, we wear pads in training camp, we're going to tackle to the ground, which they did. And so that, that I think that makes you a more conditioned athlete. It makes you a better tackling team. But it teaches you how to tackle and still keep yourself safe because you're doing this at practice. Last year, uh, the Denver Broncos, Nathaniel Hackett was the coach. They didn't do one single tackling drill in all of training camp. And then you're going to ask these guys to go out there and play football full speed in the opening week of the season. And they haven't tackled to the ground yet. You're doing your team a disservice when you do that. So, yeah, these philosophies don't necessarily line up with getting the best out of players, not preparing them to play high-level football, but also preparing them to take care of themselves. The tough skin that I developed in training camp carried throughout the season for me. And if you don't ever develop that, with the only 12 padded practices during the season, you're never going to get that. So each game, you're going to be in the training room the next week, beat up and bruised and with all types of things going wrong because you never toughened yourself for the rigors of football. Man, 
shocked that that Hackett, you know, was was soft on the guys in camp. They they were pretty a uh, hard nosed football. Oh, never mind. That's <laughs> I know I'm probably you know, we're breaking codes again. Can't right. can't criticize Hackett and. But what a different world with Sean Payton out there. I want to talk to you forever, Chad, but you probably got stuff to do, man. Yeah, you- I got I to gotta run here, but this was good, man. You helped me uh, get this off my, <laughs> my, my chest. Um, yes, football is – the level of football is declining in the NFL and in college football. I see it every single week, and it is due to the changes to the practice schedules, to the padded practice schedules, and attempts to make the game safer. So the owners gave the players – quote unquote, more safety players still get banged up. So it's a public perception thing. And what do the owners get? They get more, they get more share of the, of the pool of revenue and they make more money. So the owners were happy to give the players perceived safety for more money. And in the end, it makes for a lesser product. It actually makes the players less safe in my opinion. And the owners get richer. Who's winning this battle? The owners. There's the mic drop from Chad Brown. That was amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. If you have a have a notion, text me anytime, and we'll have you back on. Thanks for having Let's me say on. Say the word. It was a lot of fun, man. I appreciate it. Have a good one, buddy. You too.